Hey there, treasure hunters. If you enjoy what the Ironbound Chest does, please consider leaving a rating and a review on iTunes. Doing so helps to spread the wealth inside of the Ironbound Chest to other listeners, adventurers, and fellow treasure hunters. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Greetings, podquesters. I am Colt Hawkins, famous bard of the podcast Intelligence Check. Intelligence Check is set in a Tolkien-esque world where our party members are forced by fate down the road of adventure. Literally, fate is physically forcing us. We keep trying to walk away, but the damn thing never lets up. Now I know what you're saying. Another D&D podcast? But trust me, I'm worth listening to. I mean, we're worth listening to. And doesn't this accent make you just want to trust me? Intelligence Check celebrates the camaraderie of lifelong friends, joking around a table while remaining true to their characters and story. We bring you short, bi-weekly adventures full of action, banter, too many tentacles, and a naked dwarf. Oh, dear God, someone please put some clothes on that dwarf. So roll an intelligence check, because the show you're listening to now is awesome, but you'll need something to hold you over while you wait for new episodes. Oh, come on, is that really the tagline we're using? You're listening to the Ironbound Chest. Our topic for discussion this month is innovation, and today, we're sitting down with Megan and Tristan from Girl Meets Nerd. Let's add some wealth to the chest. everyone, and thank you for opening the Ironbound Chest. My name is Austin Moraga, and today I am joined by Megan and Tristan from Girl Meets Nerd. Thank you guys so much for joining me. We are so happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, hey, I will mention this because I honestly do feel like this, but I feel like I am talking to some personal celebrities. Um, <laughs> just because, we feel like, the same way. Well, so thank you. <laughs> it is endearing. It is weird to hear people say like, oh, like you're, you're, you know, interesting and you're, we like listening to your podcast because yeah, you're like, like well, me, me? <laughs> who me? Like I am too much of a humble person and I hate, not really hate, but I'm just so uncomfortable with, with like praise a lot of times just because like it, I'm such like a closeted, like, like, oh no, don't don't worry about me. I'll be in the corner. I'm fine, you know. Just be over here recording my podcast. I'll be here recording podcast. To nobody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna do nothing to nobody. Well, have you guys got a chance to kind of get an idea of what this podcast does and what this is all about? Yeah, we've listened to quite a few episodes actually. We started as original fans of the Ironbound <gasps> Chest. Yes, OG fans. When your first episode was released, we were pretty intrigued because, Ooh. you know, being a podcast that teaches people about different aspects of the nerd world, we thought it was a really cool thing that you were doing, kind of diving into a lot of more in-depth topics on RPGs and kind of that realm. I'm very touched by that. Thank you. So each month, as you know, I have a different topic that deals with a certain discussion that I think is interesting and think that, you know, people can have a, a meaningful talk about. This month's topic is all about innovation, pretty much talking all about changes you would like to see in the future for tabletop games such as D&D or others that you enjoy, or even just for, especially for you guys, I'd love to discuss changes and also, you know, board games, video games, like I mentioned, things like D&D, um, and any other things that you've experienced like that, just talking about how, how you view 
change and, and what your ideas are on that. Before we get into everything, though, I would love to know, how has y'all's week been? How have you guys been doing? It's been a long week. <laughs> yeah, it is, has, has been a long week. It's Tuesday, it's Tuesday. and it's been a long week. <laughs> I totally understand. Definitely. We, we, uh, we were up at Megan's family's cottage over the weekend, nice. and we were going to drive back home, which is about a three and a half hour drive on Sunday night, and wow. elected to stay sunday night instead so that we could actually play board games that's like our kryptonite it's our crutch <laughs> be responsible play board games yeah woke up at five o'clock the next morning to drive home before work so it's been Ooh, kind wow. of one of those like sleep deprived hazes yeah you know? <laughs> oh gosh yeah tell me about week. it so it's been it's been a good week, but it's just kind of been like a, i mean it's again it's it's only been two days into the week but i keep thinking yeah. to myself I need to go to bed so that I can get a better sleep. And then I, I don't do that. So it's really my fault. <laughs> I, hear I absolutely hear you there. My work weeks start on Sunday, which isn't too bad. They end on Tuesdays. No, they end on Wednesdays, but they are 10 hour shifts. And I do go into work. I wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning and I go to work at 4 a.m. in the morning. Oh my um, goodness. Yeah, so staying up late for me is a very difficult thing. And just and just like the way with and I mentioned this before recording, the everything I have on my plate from the podcasting to just, you know, socializing with people on things like Twitter. Uh I have my son I take care of on on my days, my job, everything else, you know. It does feel like it's been like one week in doing this podcast when in reality it's been maybe like two or three and things just like you don't realize it when you're doing something like this, like a project, like a podcast, whenever you're just like, Oh wow. Look at the time. It's like, okay, I guess I've been editing for six hours. Yep. (laughs) Six hours, three weeks. Yes, exactly. So I have a golden question that I ask all of my guests. Yes. So for, for you, for both of you, Megan and Tristan, what do you treasure most about tabletop games? We can expand this to Dungeons and Dragons, or we can just go to games in general. But what do you treasure most about them? You know, I've heard this question answered multiple times on your podcast already, and I'm still like, such a good question. <laughs> For me, probably a bit about my background is I'm not really a gamer, and I don't play a lot of games, at least I didn't until a couple of years ago, and what really drew me into tabletop games, namely D&D, just because that's the one I've played the most, was the creative outlet that it gives you. It, you know, gives you this opportunity to explore a completely different personality and a different world in a way that we just don't have access to here on Earth, (laughs) you know, with all of our societal responsibilities. Um, and lack of magical ability. Yeah, that's really that's <laughs> the, the unfortunate lack of yes. magical ability. Yeah. <laughs> so that's yep. what I love about it is that it just takes you to a whole other world and you can really explore a different side of your personality. Yeah, that's great. Well, I won't steal the creative element, although I do I love the creative yeah. element. <laughs> I think then I will probably say it, the social aspect is what I really love about tabletop games. Okay. Both D&D and role-playing games, as well as just board games, whatever genre they are, is the Mm -hmm. ability to sit down with 
a group of close friends and be able to bond over something that isn't uh, as possible when you're living a pretty busy life. And I mean, it's usually what we do with our friends, but obviously there are other things that quote unquote regular people do to connect with their (laughs) friends. But I really love having that shared experience. And then you get back together with your friends and you're like, you remember that amazing game of D and D or spirit Island that we played. And then, you know, chat about that for half an hour. Which oh God. Yeah. I really love that element. Just like connecting with people. Yeah. With the amount of real creative freedom, you can really dive so deep into like what you were saying, Megan, about like just getting a different side of your personality. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you do step into another being almost Absolutely. to where you just embody them, whether it's completely different from you as a real person or whether it's very much alike, but like you definitely get so much different creative ways to experience new things and everything. And, but it, it, at the same time, you are experiencing those things through a social format, like what you were saying, Tristan, because you are playing it with friends and a game like D and D wants you to play with friends. Heck, tabletop games want you to play with friends. And it is like the social bonding is such an integral part in those things that, I think make these types of games such as like physical tabletop games so meaningful to people because if you're playing, you know, like an online MMO or even just something like Call of Duty, I can't really think of anything else other than like Call of Duty, but like while you are still socializing with others, it's not that real personal level yeah. and mm-hmm. it's not as, I don't think it's as meaningful, you know, and you don't get those experiences like, wow, I just had a huge, you know, deep dive into a character backstory in D&D that we talked about for three hours. You know, you don't get that in any other real way in any other place like a tabletop role-playing game. Yeah, and I think that that really comes along with the collective creation of the world of D&D because while the dungeon master or game master, whoever it is, is creating the storyline, I mean, all of the players at the table are contributing a little piece of them to make the story come to life. Mm, And I think that that's something that in a video game, such as call of duty, you let the video game do that for you. So you just don't get that deep emotional connection with people in that same way. Yeah, We used to have a game of D and D with some complete strangers that we met when we moved to Montreal and very quickly we became very close with them because you're again, like putting yourself out there when you play yeah. a role-playing game or a tabletop. Yeah, yeah, you definitely had those bonding moments, yeah. It's, it's just very interesting. It is really, really special, those moments that really set things apart. I would love to know, just so listeners can get a, a better sense of the two of you, and especially what you do. You mentioned in my little notes here, you say you're a brand new podcast, even though you have a few episodes out, don't you? Yeah, we do have, we're going on eight episodes. Very exciting. And yeah, we have been fantastic. Pod- yeah, thank you. We have been podcasting for about three months now, but I still consider us three brand months? new. Yeah, three oh months. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but I do still consider us brand new. I mean, there's so many amazing podcasts out there and so much to learn from other people that when I introduce myself, I always say, you know, I'm a brand new podcaster, but probably should give us a little more credit. We have been podcasting for three months now. Wow. Yeah, I was going to say three months is a long time. Mm-hmm. It's a long time and eight episodes is also, that's that's no longer two or three. No, no longer. <laughs> yeah. Including yeah, the that, trailer. 
<laughs> that feeling of evolution in a way of like, yeah, we just started. Like we're we're kind of figuring things out to be like three months down the line, episode, eight episodes under the belt. You're good, I feel like. You know, even though or other people could probably think of that like, wow, they've got eight episodes. They've been doing this for so long. And it's like you you yourselves putting out this content is like, man, we're just getting started. Like yeah. I feel like yeah. we barely barely got our feet in the water. One hundred percent. We're still trying to figure out, you know who we are as people on this podcast and what we want to bring to the world because there's so many great podcasts out there, but we really want to have this unique voice. And if you don't mind, I'll just maybe tell people a little bit about it. Please do. That's exactly (laughs) what I I was hoping for. Okay. So um, the Girl Meets Nerd podcast was kind of this fever dream that I had literally (laughs) when I was taking a nap one time. And I, some history on me is that as I mentioned a little bit ago, I'm not really coming from a nerdy background per se. So Mm -hmm. I grew up just kind of like dismissing nerdy stuff like comics and video games and even board games. My family wasn't really a board game family. And then when I met Tristan, he was really into D&D and he was really into video games. And we kind of had this disconnect of, well, what does this mean for us? And he was great at teaching me about why this world was so fantastical and what I would love about it. And very quickly, I realized I had seen all the Marvel movies. I had played D&D and I loved <laughs> board games. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love it. Yeah. And then my friends started to kind of ask me, well, why are you doing this? And what do you like about it? And I realized that there's so many people, especially women, who feel isolated from this world of the nerd verse because nobody's ever explained to them, well, how do you get into it and why would you love it? You know, it's very directed at people who maybe already knew as kids that they like these things yeah. or that their friends introduced them to. And so we, well, I created this idea of the Girl Meets Nerd podcast to introduce people to different things that they might like, hoping that just maybe one person would walk away being like, oh, I could really go for D&D or I think I love <laughs> board games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. So with this this month's topic being all about innovation and change, mm-hmm. I think what you're doing is so perfect for this topic because, and I mentioned this, I believe in episode four with Tale of the Manticore. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to that guy. Where we he asked me if there's a stigma about D&D. And I go off and explain my thoughts, but I also touch a little bit about how I feel like there's a very small or maybe a less less margin of female players in games like this because there is such a disconnect. But I think what you're saying about like, you know, there's you felt like there was isolated women and all this kind of stuff. And what you're doing, tying in with the idea of innovation and change, you are being that change. You are the change, Megan. <laughs> And I think that's so important. And like, and you as well, Tristan, because like you are often on these episodes and, you know, and, and you are directly the inspiration for Megan for doing this kind of thing, I feel like. And, and so the both of you, I think, are doing a great thing for that misrepresentation, hopefully soon eventual deep inclusion of women in these sorts of, of games in this sort of field. So thank you very much for that. That's amazing for you oh, guys. Well, thank I love you. That. You're going to make me cry That's over here, very, Austin. Very <laughs> thing to say. Yes. Well, we're really trying well, and we want to make sure that there's all sorts of voices heard, which is why I think it's so important to have 
other guests on the podcast. Um, so we're looking forward to doing that as we kind of start to grow past these first few episodes, as you say, and <laughs> getting more diverse voices who can tell us about their experiences mm. with this world, be it video games, board games, tabletops, yeah. etc. And that's yeah. honestly a really interesting way of framing the podcast. Because mm-hmm. we, when we had gotten started, we're just kind of thinking of it as sort of telling our story together of how Megan got interested in all of these things that you now really truly love and evolved yeah. from just loving it for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, That's so sweet. I love it. And that. now you've kind of grown into it, loving it yourself. And that is a very unique thing because I think like you said, Austin or Meg, that it's almost like an inherent thing for me. And most of the people that I know who love all of these things that I, I don't remember a time when I didn't deeply and truly love Star Wars in my life. <laughs> and it's interesting to think about, like, what are those things that make me love it so much? And yeah. how can other people connect with those things? I love the both of you. You guys are so sweet. <laughs> uh, it's just great. So another thing about, I want to ask about what you do. Please explain to me. And for listeners out there, if you have not listened to Gromit's Word, please stop this podcast, go listen to it, and come back and resume this if you'd like to. But go listen to Girl Meets Nerd. Please do it. But please explain to me the <laughs> hilarious end credits of, of Tristan going, blah, 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 blah. Please tell me about that. I want to know. Okay, so... Just to start off, this is really hilarious because we started putting them in there at the beginning just to see if anybody had listened to the podcast, (laughs) mostly just for our friends' sake, just to see. And it's funny because lots of people have listened to the episodes and never brought them up. But then if I talk to them in person, they're like, so what is with that ending? Um, oh God. Yeah. So we just kind of started it as a fun thing to add in to the very end, but then the more we did it, the more we were like, this is... We gotta keep doing this. We gotta keep doing it. Like, it's just so much fun. It's our own, it's like, a, like, personal joke for ourselves. <laughs> yeah. It's like a catchphrase, but not a catchphrase. It's just a catch jumble of words. Exactly. I love it. And it was, now it's so we have funny. people contacting us being like, I was waiting for, yeah. <laughs> to see what the last bit would be. Oh you my know? gosh. A lot That's of my great. friends will message and say, I like listening to the podcast for two parts. To listen to the podcast and to find out what's going to be at the end. <laughs> <laughs> what it sounds is going to make next. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you've heard the most recent episode. And again, when this airs, this will be like many episodes Ooh, later. Yeah. But if you've listened to episode seven, which is the Star Wars episode, mm. Tristan sings a cappella the entire opening of the Star <laughs> Wars theme song. Oh my god. My I take. Yeah. Your so. take on it. Your yeah. rendition. <laughs> so you got to go listen to that. that. I, yeah, I will definitely do that. Yeah, it was kind of inspired by, have you watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine or Rick and Morty? I watched Rick and Morty. I haven't really watched a lot of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So, you know, at the end of Rick and Morty, I think it's Justin Roiland's voice. And he says, did you get any? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I was thinking of Brooklyn. Or in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, it's like, not a doctor. Yeah. yeah. I have heard that. I yeah. have heard that. I didn't, I didn't know that. And we were like, we'll just do something think, like yeah, that. I don't even know what they are. I, I assume it's the production company or some sort of acknowledgement to something in the realm. And oh, 
I, we've just watched those shows so much. I just expect at the end of a Brooklyn nine, nine episode or a Rick and Morty episode to hear those little voice bits. So yeah, those tidbits. That's lovely. "Mm -hmm." We'll just stick something in at the end. And then it kept changing. And now it's starting to evolve away from being like a signature (laughs) voice line at the end (laughs) to its own little (laughs) performance. Oh my gosh. I love it though. It's, it's so cute. It's so funny. Just never stop. (laughs) Okay. We won't, we won't. Perfect. Just for you. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Well, I want to get into some more questions about all of this. Let's get into the stuff people actually care about. (laughs) Hey, I care about this stuff. So it's important. So for one, can you, as brief as you'd like, tell me about your experiences with tabletop role-playing games such as D&D and your, your level with them at this point? Yeah, for sure. I started playing... D&D, Dungeons and Dragons specifically, I think when I was in middle school. And it was something that a couple of my friends had introduced me to. And my friend wanted to DM his own game with a couple of us from class. So we started playing as you do in his basement and having some really, really, really great and fun adventures. And interestingly, um, talking about stigma, I definitely felt this oppressive stigma about me playing D&D when mm-hmm. I was young. As you're a young person, everything matters so much. God, and yeah. it was just kind of like, I don't want to be associated with this stigma that goes along with D&D. Yes. But yes. as D&D goes, it's just so incredibly fun <laughs> that mm-hmm. I'm not going to stop playing it. So <laughs> that kind of was a weird element to it for me. And I think... As I continued through uh, high school, I just ended up stopping playing it. The, my friends uh, that I was playing with, we kind of grew apart. But I also just, I think, was just veering away from it because I had this weird stigma about myself playing it. And yeah. that sucked, definitely. Um, and was a big thing, I will say, that I kind of like worked through and... Tristan 10 years ago would probably be mortified to know that I'm now doing podcast about (laughs) he would be very, very upset. (laughs) So in university, my friends, we were all kind of ended up talking about D and D and sort of mutually discovered that all of us secretly wanted to play D and D, but we're not bringing it up with each other. And Mm -hmm. from there, we just sort of took it away. We had a couple debates about who was going to DM and I ended up being the one to step into the role and explore what that really meant for the first time. And I also kind of had the most experience with D and D. So I already had a notion of what the game was. I should say when I was playing in middle school, I was playing advanced dungeons and dragons, which is it's the first edition, but I think it's a rule set that came afterwards to improve on it. So even though I didn't know the rules for 5th edition, I already had an idea of what D&D was like and how to play out the game. Gotcha. And from there, it just kind of steamrolled and basically took over my life <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> I understand while. that. Yeah. So yeah. That's so great, though. That's, uh, that's kind of how it started for me. And I DM'd for a couple of years with my friends. We had people, you know, moving away for university. So we were doing things in person and online where we would set up a, uh, a little iPad or a phone so that that person could be part of the group. And then oh, okay. more people moved away. So we transitioned onto roll 20. 
Um, and then eventually I stopped DMing, you know, life kind of ended up happening and I was also getting a little burnt out from DMing and I was trying to find a job and move into a new apartment. And so I, I just didn't have the time to dedicate to the creation elements of DMing. And then I started playing with one of my friends, my very, very good friend took up the mantle as the group DM. And now I am having a wonderful game uh, as a player. And during this time is when I would have met Megan and introduced her to the game. And that was also kind of a slow process because it absorbed a lot of my time and you didn't really know what the game was. And for a while, I um, I kind of kept it a secret <laughs> because uh, because of the stigma that I was talking about. And maybe you can probably talk a bit more about that, Megan, because for me, it was a very clear thing, but it was a lot more ambiguous what was going on <laughs> for you. Yeah. So I guess I'll just continue the story of your D&Ding here. <laughs> yeah, so, please do. As I said before, wasn't really into any nerdy things and especially not D&D when I met Tristan. And we met in my third year of university or mm -hmm. college, I guess, in the States. <laughs> um, <laughs> both. I don't still understand that system. <laughs> so we met and at first, like he told me, like he liked playing video games and board games and stuff with his friends. And I was like, cool, whatever. And then I actually went and lived in France for six months and we would just video call and talk. But it was weird because sometimes Tristan would just like peace out for like nine hours. And I was <laughs> always really confused because when I would ask him about it, he would make up a really like strange convoluted excuse about <laughs> hanging out with his friends. And I was just like, I don't understand why you can't check your texts. This yep. is so weird. And it sounds while, shady, Tristan. Yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, like, we're just hanging out. I don't know. <laughs> it was so weird. And I started to kind of feel like maybe he was hiding something from me. I never mm -hmm. thought, like, I trusted him with everything I had from the very beginning. But yeah. I was just like, something is not right here. And I just don't know what it is. So one day we were on <laughs> video call and I was like, listen, you have to tell me where you were yesterday. I'm really confused. Like, you know, you can tell me anything. Like, I thought maybe he had an addiction or something. I'm not sure. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah, I was <laughs> Well, I mean, was. you're not far from I'm being wrong, wrong, I think. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. And I just remember him staring at me from the other side of the computer screen and like, taking like five glasses of water before he got <laughs> oh it out. God. Yeah, I know. I was stressed. You were stressed. And finally he uttered the words like I I play D D and he held oh up this like God. very ratty dice bag and he was like shaking and he was just like I play D D. It was not a ratty dice bag, it was a casino or no, not Casino Royale, the uh, Crown Royal. Crown yeah. Royal Crown Royal. You know? Oh Still, my God. Though, it Classic. Was very I was like, okay, that that's okay. Like, you don't have to be ashamed <laughs> oh of it. Oh, my God. Yeah, and it went on like that. So slowly he began to tell me a bit more about what it was, and he showed me the books, and he showed me the art, and I got intrigued. And for your birthday one year, you decided to have a big D&D &D game with your friends. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to join. I'm going to try Aww. it. Yeah, and one of his friends DM'd, and it it was pretty fun, but it was really long, and I was confused, but I was like, you know what, this could be something we do together, and slowly Tristan introduced me to a different campaign that he DM'd, and Tristan is 
I'm very biased, but he's a fantastic DM. Like he can just create an entire bar in his mind in about five minutes flat. Like he is your ideal DM. Nice. And he really brought the magic to the game for me. And we started playing with friends and I just, I fell in love with that. As I said before, the creativity and the world creation. Yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, so now we just kind of play casually. I've never played a different system though. So just 5e at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. That's such a great story. I I love every second of that. I was like, oh my God, Tristan, what are you doing? I know. Just that description of like, had to take like five glasses of water and like shake like, I'm addicted to D&D. Yeah. It was that. Oh my gosh. Megan, you were asking me like, what do you do? And I was like, okay, well, everybody's playing and I'm like, it's a bunch of nerds and I'm the lead nerd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, not only am I playing D and I am the DM, which in my mind at the time I was like, this is it. <laughs> this yeah. is it. This is, he was this like, is, she's going to leave. She's going to hide. You can't get any nerdier than this. Yeah. <laughs> Four <laughs> years maximum. later, I'm creating a podcast about your life. Yeah. Hey, there you go. I love that. It's so great. <laughs> it's so sweet too. In the vein of you guys, start both both of your experiences starting this journey down with with D. Mm-hmm. what was the experience like when playing uh, or or getting into D for the first time learning all the rules like oh. was that was that a very a hugely Oof. difficult thing yeah so <laughs> one thing about me that hasn't changed is that i hate learning rules so bad so bad i hate it <laughs> But luckily, at the point where I started playing D&D, Tristan pretty much, I can say, hey, what is this rule? And he can flip the page open in the book. Like, he has every (laughs) book memorized. So I didn't really need to learn the rules from the actual rules in the book. I got to learn them through somebody else, which anybody who's played a board game knows that it's way easier to learn from somebody who's played before. Yes. So while I hate learning the rules to anything, <laughs> I love playing by them. Yeah. yeah. You're very rules averse. I am. And we've you yeah. we've even said, I don't want to play that game because I don't want to learn new rules. Yeah. Interesting. And then after I explain the rules, I'm like, okay. Megan's like, this is my new favorite board game. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great though. Yeah, but what about you? I learned all the rules from scratch myself. I very you know the player's handbook i just kind of it fell off the back of the internet you know and i just picked Mm -hmm. it up and (laughs) learned from a pdf that i had and honestly i think it was over such a long period of time that i can't really boil it down to this was my experience learning them yeah like i had said i was starting as the dm so i was trying to get a, a grasp on how to run the game And I think it took me longer to know and really understand the rules than Mm -hmm. that's this is going to sound weird than to just like understand what they were. Does that make sense? Like how do you use them? Yeah. Like it was, I knew that it was like, okay, like they make these roles for attack and these roles for, you know, all of the various things, but to really integrate the rules into the game and make the game run really well was a much longer organic process of running a game and then 
collecting feedback from all of my friends who I would hound for feedback at the very beginning. (laughs) And it was difficult for them to give me good feedback. That wasn't just, I had a really great time, which was really great to hear. But at the same time, I was trying to understand like, when were you bored or, you know, what ruling did you disagree with me on? Yeah. And then it was a a large combination (laughs) of, you know, being on the internet and being in the forums and being on Reddit and just reading all of the amazing D and D content that is out there mm-hmm. um, to sort of understand how to run a game where the rules don't become like a block for the narrative. Yeah. It's such a D and D. I don't have too much experience with other systems besides D and D, but it's great that especially fifth edition really allows you to kind of go by the rules as much as you want, but then they do state in, I think the dungeon master's guide and the player's guide, I want to say, but like, you know, the DM has the final say on a lot of these things. You know, if you want to play loose and fun, fast and loose or whatever you want to say, you can definitely do that. And because it's, it's more about fifth edition. I feel like it's more about the enjoyment at the table rather than getting all the rules right in order to be concise about yeah. things you know that's still important but it but for for new players and stuff like that it, it can be such a hurdle because you have all these numbers and mm-hmm. concepts and and terms and everything else in between though yeah. do you guys feel like in any way that this game this uh D could possibly streamline any of their rules or like just in general have you seen other games do a better job at explaining these rules or rules that are comparable to what D&D kind of does? That's a really good question. Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I'll let you talk about your experience with Dungeon World and how that is so different. But before you do, I'll just say that while I haven't played any other systems of RPG specifically, the biggest hurdle for me is that while you've got, in terms of like character creation and figuring out the rules... While Mm -hmm. you have the idea of level one, level two, level three, whatever characters, at least to my knowledge as a newbie, there's not really any like starter packs. I know that there's the Mm -hmm. D&D essentials and the D&D starter pack, but I would really like like almost a cheat sheet character the first time. So I know that in the guides you can make a quick Mm -hmm. character and stuff like that. But I'm talking about, you know, in some board games, they'll have a walkthrough of your first turn. Okay. I would love to see some sort of walkthrough for your first game of D&D. Like, what are your options as a cleric? What are some things you can do? And just like, either as just PDFs or printables, a little kind of reminder sheet of what you can do and how to build this character so it's easy. And maybe even a ranking of like, if you're new to D&D, here are the characters you should play. Because I mostly got that information from Tristan, Mm -hmm. who I'm assuming got it through playing and online. But I would love if, it doesn't even have to be D&D, but if somebody would create some beginner's content for who you should pick if you're just looking for an easy character who you won't forget how to cast a spell or how to do this. And you won't spend your whole first game flipping through that book. Because I know that that I just spent the whole game flipping through the player's handbook because I chose to play a sorcerer my first time. And I was like, (laughs) I don't even know what I can do. Yeah. Yeah. Things like the the player's handbook or the, yeah, the player's handbook, they obviously give you such 
descriptive information mm-hmm. about the classes and the races, like a, a bit of lore here and, and very, real flavor text there, you know. But yeah. you're right. They really don't, as far as I know, they really don't give you more of like a, a breakdown, like you said, a cheat sheet of, of what you should play or what you might be able to play that might suit you. I had, I think it was, again, I mentioned my episode four with Tale of the Menthicor. He does, I think, say at one point, like, there used to be beginner adventures in some of the older editions. 5e doesn't really give you any explanation too much other than, I think, in the player's handbook, it's more of like a, you're reading a book about some players, you know, in their first adventure or whatever. But, like, that's still not enough, I feel like. Mm -hmm. They should, I feel like they're, the change I would like to see in that is that, yeah, definitely make it so where new players can be better accommodated with that kind of thing. Yeah. And just be more accessible because yeah, I mean, I'm right now in a bachelor of education to be a teacher. And all I can think looking at the D and D books is like, how do you play D and D if you're not great at reading or if you're a kid yeah. or if you know, you don't have the same level of vocabulary as is in these books, you know, it's, it's not yeah. an accessible game. It, it's extremely yeah. expensive and there's just yeah. no in between between being like able to read all the rules in the player's handbook and having no idea what to do. There's no like, you know, like D and D Junior even. There's nothing like <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> yeah, it is. It does really add on to that stigma, like we've mentioned before, too. To where, like, yeah, a lot of people who aren't, who at least don't have someone like you, Tristan, to kind of like guide them into something like this. Mm-hmm. It is much more difficult and can be a real turnoff to a lot of people if there's not a, a friend or a group of people around you like, hey, no problem, Let, let's play this together. We'll walk you through it, you know, yeah. because yeah. At, at this point, D&D is kind of really obviously solidified itself as the kind of like king of TTRPGs and it's not going anywhere anytime soon and people know enough about it to where like they get mostly all the concepts in it like the races the classes the what you do you know rolling dice and playing you know make believe and all this stuff but they really don't do a lot of accommodation for new players and that's something i would love to see them do too yeah but what about you just what are your thoughts on that i think that I mean, I, I definitely agree with the complexity of the rules is it's almost like two sides of the same coin where the complexities allow for so much where yeah. everyone, if you, if everyone understands what's going on, then you can all sit down and kind of say, okay, we agree on this very complicated set of rules and now we will move forward together because there's no ambiguity about what you can do and what I can do because it's all right. laid out for us. But at the same time, like Megan is saying, it is a long process. And if you are a group of people who want to play D&D, but nobody in your group does, you can't just sit down and be like, okay, tonight we're going to learn how to play D&D and then tomorrow we're going to play it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I find that like it, with my group of friends, we were all, we are, are all nerds and kind of really enjoy that aspect and that learning. And it was a long process that we were all doing together. But if all of those pieces aren't perfectly falling into place, somebody like that's in a group of friends that are say like really big moviegoers might not Mm -hmm. just sit down and say, let's play D and D. Like I said, like you might sit down with code names or a really simple game. Right. Yeah. Um, 
But I do find that the rules for the fifth edition of D&D are, they're much more accessible and give a lot more freedom. Like you were saying yes. before, to play the game that you want to play it rather than yeah. the way that the rules dictate. And I, I think one or two years ago, maybe even farther back than that, I took a look again at Advanced Dungeons and Dragons and mm-hmm. talk about like even more complicated rules. Oh, like, yeah. There's a clear progression of where 5th edition has come from and what they are trying to like build on and make better because those yeah. rules are extremely complicated even compared to like just understanding what you're supposed to do with all of these numbers and all of these abstract concepts. Yeah. Like when you get to start talking about things like Thaco, you know, yeah, to hit exactly. armor class zero. I had I don't even know what that is. I don't know what yeah, that is. I don't think anybody does. <laughs> well, yeah, the the old school D D players definitely know what it is. Yeah. I myself only recently learned about it in and again, my episode with Tale of the Manticore. Because uh, you know, he's an old school gamer. That's what he's doing in his podcast is right. is the mm-hmm. basic Dungeons and Dragons. But like it it is a good point though that like from its, you know, very dense, really rules-heavy origins, D&D really has come a long way. It's really changed yeah. over the years. And people are really coming out of the woodwork to to experience D&D because of not only its popularity, but it is honestly much, much easier to access and to get into now. Yeah. And it's, and it's really helped out a lot. So, but getting into this kind of a game have you ever had times whenever you've changed rules in a game or during a game to probably better suit what you have found to be more comfortable or better than what there was Hmm. like as a dungeon master yeah dungeon master or even like as a player if you have ever had the chance to uh, this could go to you too megan obviously uh but like if there's ever been a rule that was like i i just you know, can't wrap my head around this or you, you as a DM is like, Hey, you know, let's change this ruling to say this instead, because it, it better suits the, either the level of gamers you are or the enjoyability that you want to have at your table. Yeah. I've definitely done that both on the level of my friends and I, who all have a really solid understanding of the rules as well mm-hmm. as when, I play with Meg and your sister, for example. Yeah, my sister has no concept of the rules at has all. Has no idea how <laughs> D&D is played. She's just like, I want to do this. But she has played four or five games of us yeah. together. <laughs> oh, wow. She's um, worse than me. She's like, I just don't know them, and I'm probably never going to learn. <laughs> yeah, she just she is just acting and loves the role play aspect yeah. and leans on yeah. the rest of the group. My group have come to some house rules for different things. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm kind of drawing a blank right now. We have multiple occasions changed how spells are cast when you're holding an action for getting into the nitty gritty, where if you hold a a spell for your action and it doesn't get triggered, I believe that in the rule books, that spell slot is extinguished. Oh, wow. And we've changed it. So that isn't the case just because then you're kind of just losing your resource. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's definitely been a number of times where I, as the DM have like rule of cooled in the moment for whatever reason to 
just ignore a rule purposefully or make a rule more relaxed so that the cool thing can continue on and somebody can do what they yeah. want. I do, Austin, tend to be a little bit of a strickler. Is that a stickler? Stickler. Yeah, stickler. Such a rule stickler. You're I like, mm, strict. Sorry. And we're all like, now, what? now, are you. Is this in the same vein as a rules lawyer or just a more of like, hey, guys, stick to the rules kind of thing? He's more the person who knows the rule and won't waver from it. Yeah. Okay. I, I yeah. do. But I he also is the person to, to be like, lawyer. um, I think you can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> it does. It it's really annoying. <laughs> tisk, tisk. When I play, I don't, I don't like to rules lawyer the other yeah. DMs. Like, I don't bring up anything unless it's like a game breaking thing that another yeah. player is just not understanding how their class works and are doing something either way more often or way less. But mm-hmm. or it's me and I'm trying to do something that's absolutely not allowed. But when I DM, yeah. I do try and stick to the rules or the house rules that we've all agreed upon. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's one of the elements of D&D that I like is that everyone can sit down and if you are playing a barbarian and somebody else is playing a wizard, then you know the rules that the wizard has to follow and they don't get to like change or stretch those in different ways yeah. um, that might have changed if you wanted to play a wizard or that just kind of makes the wizard extra powerful or anything like that. Like I really yeah. enjoy that aspect of... Um, the rules i just you know austin i just love the rules in games board games tabletop role-playing games i just i love those rules we I think even it's good when they're right. really good like a really good rule yeah. set they just are so elegant and it's awesome to see them play out oh and yeah interact. yeah it's it's good rules are absolutely important though and i, I just want to touch on what you're saying like um that you you won't you know be a rules lawyer for other DMs. I think that's important to do that, you know, because each DM really changes the game. I think that every time you play under a new DM, that you get a slightly, you, you know, you get the same experience for the most part, but like each one is slightly different. It changes the game just in subtle ways, like whether it be certain house rules or, or major rules you have, but like, you know, you can add in things like, homebrew material even different storytelling styles you know the way they deal with the uh the narrative portions of things like that though which which really makes each one unique and and really just changes it up for your for you as a player which is is pretty fun i think and you like i don't want to play with me as a dm (laughs) yeah like i want to experience that dm style yeah, definitely. Well, you're saying like you really love a good a good rule set. Do you feel? And this goes to you too, Megan. I think because you have you know uh, experience in different rule sets of not only you know D and D, but like board games and tabletop mm-hmm. games and stuff like that. Do you feel like change is is a good thing? Say like in an edition, like since we have the fifth edition of D and D. Do you feel like that kind of a change is a good thing or like, you know, should the rules of these types of games stay consistent or is, do you feel like that that sort of change is a necessity? I'll take the first part of this at least. So that's a tough debate to have. I think, especially in a game that has been so loved for so long, such as D and D or other role-playing systems like Pathfinder. I know is one, I know that name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think it's really hard to accept as longtime players of a game that has been going on so long that rules need to be changed. And I won't get into this too much because I don't have a lot of information on it, but I know that there are some issues right now circulating the internet, the dark web that I am on. <laughs> dark web, yes. <laughs> Regarding some issues with race and class abilities in D&D and how, you know, as our society changes and as our social context changes, it is really important that we update the rules to games that are going to continue to represent a huge part of our belief system in society and and keep rules consistent, especially in a game like a role-playing game where, you know, there's certain races in D&D that represent a certain group of people that were created at a time that is no longer appropriate to represent them this way. Again, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm not using specific examples because I haven't done enough research and I need to do more before I speak on this. But I think in general, even if you look at older TV shows, you know, there's moments in TV shows that I used to love as a kid that are even like, that's not a great thing to say or to represent anymore. And I think that rules in games have to be treated the same as movies. You know, you have to keep updating them. You have to keep them current. And Mm -hmm. in terms of accessibility, as we just said, you know, we're getting such a wide reach on social media and on the internet of being able to advertise things like role-playing games. And if we're going to do that, if we're going to access all of our populations, we need to make sure that, all of these populations are represented in games. So be that women or people of color, um, we need to see more representation in the rules and in these games, especially when they're role-playing games. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. So I know that that's a huge topic to (laughs) breach, um, but again, I'm not the person to talk on those issues necessarily, but I believe that if we are releasing new editions of D&D or other role-playing games, that it would be just such a disaster to not have them be updated to reflect our social situation. Yeah. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this, Tristan? I 100% agree with Megan with regards to the way that role-playing games kind of represent people. Mm -hmm. Like we said earlier, one of the awesome parts is that you're stepping into another set of shoes. And when people read the rules or the books, you can definitely see yourself or other people in whether it's the class or the race with D&D in the books, right? When you're reading them. And there are also some weird and complicated concepts in D&D that used to work, I think. I don't even know if they did work that are not as accessible anymore. Like the concept of an alignment chart. Yes. Mm-hmm. describes mm-hmm. yourself as chaotic good or neutral evil yeah. is, you know, it's a way to categorize the way that people behave to a certain extent, but mm-hmm. a, I don't think it's necessarily interpreted correctly all the time yeah. where people end up just kind of like, you know, doing something to hurt someone else and then being like, well, that's what my character would do. I'm neutral evil, which is yeah. like, well, <laughs> That's not exactly the best way to interpret it, but I also think it limits the storytelling when you have races that are inherently evil, quote unquote, in the D&D world. Like, I believe that the drow kind of have this 
you know, in their description, it'll say like drow, humanoid, neutral evil or something like yeah. that, you know, and it kind of prescribes drow mm. as being evil or monsters as being lawful good or something like that. Yeah. Um, which I think is really limiting because when you go to, you know, tell a story altogether and you can sort of point a finger and say the drow are evil, that's really fun in a couple of ways. But when you play D&D very consistently, which you would assume is what, you know, any anybody who's selling anything, you want them to keep doing it and people want to keep playing D&D, you eventually come to a point of, well, okay, well, what if the drow aren't evil? In, and let's tell this story a little bit differently. So we aren't just yeah. telling the same story, um, which is something I really love about the Eberron setting. Yeah. Is that the races are described with a lot of context mm-hmm. behind yes. why different races are a certain way. And it all connects with the history and it really makes you, you know, you connect with it with our own history and our own world and yeah. our own culture. And you can see how, if you look at it this way, yeah, the drow are evil if you are looking at it from one perspective. But then when you read more into it, you learn why they are doing these things and they make sense, which is just yeah. like our own world. And I think yeah. that that element is something that Dungeons and Dragons specifically, um, the Forgotten Realms, is lacking. Yeah, especially yeah. context. I mm-hmm. completely agree. I think we both love the Eberron campaign yeah. that we ran. And I think partially we keep bringing us up in conversation between the two of us. It's because there's so much history and so much context yeah. for why different groups of people, people honestly, because, are doing the things yeah. they're doing and what that means and all of the social impacts. And yeah. Yeah. in the Forgotten Realms, I think it was originally designed to be a lot more mystical than it has become because mm-hmm. it, it so directly applies to our society in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah. And and it it really delves into that fact that like you can D D in and of itself allows you to have these deep dives into another person's uh point of view and another person's, you know, life really. And in doing that, you'd, you'd want things like the Eberron campaign campaign settings to really give you so much information and history about the places, people, and things in that world. Especially, though, about the people because, you know, you are a person existing in this world. Mm-hmm. And there are definitely so much underlying reasons as to why in an Eberron setting... Uh, I don't think the drow are in the Eberron setting. Obviously, you can have them. As to as to why they might be evil, it's more of like the way I see it, and and dealing with alignment system as well. What you're talking about that is is one of the big bigger things right now, next to the like representation of of races and gender in a game like D anD. d But like that idea of alignment and and how that really entails a a race of people like mm-hmm. like the drow funny enough the my previous interview she actually has a drow paladin and we did discuss about a drow in in length you know and mm-hmm. i brought up then as i'll bring up now like uh if you've heard of drizzt dorden mm-hmm. the drow ranger who you know broke all the the norms of of a drow and was like he is a huge legendary hero and People all over the Forgotten Realms, like, you know, love him and and adore him and and all this kind of things. But, like, 
traditionally like like in that world the drow are evil mm-hmm. but but really like why like why can't why? more be like that drizzed where they're just they are there are it's certain populations where it's like you know these people could be bad these people could be good but it's circumstantial i think yeah. mm-hmm. and i think that that's that, part of the problem with prescribing alignment in yeah. races because each DM is going to interpret everything differently. And I don't think that necessarily that's helpful in the rules to be like, this character is bad. So Mm. that's the only way you can play them. It's like, sorry. Well, yeah, it is such a big thing. And it definitely is something that needs to change. And, and hopefully in future editions, which I don't think people are really ready for a a sixth edition at this point right now, but not right now, (laughs) maybe not right now, but I can totally see them maybe churning out something like what they did with 3.5, if you're mm-hmm. familiar with that. They, they, we could get something like a 5.5, where they do really go back and redo a lot of things, such as the, I guess, so like a societal sect of the rules, where it's like exactly yeah. dealing with uh, racial notions of being evil or good, you know? Because, again, I think it's alignment system could work if it's a circumstantial sort of system like Mm -hmm. in your everyday life you know people change every day in the way that they deal with others you know and they themselves are like one day you may be just like like i just feel like screwing with people i'm in a bad mood or something like that you know Mm -hmm. other days like i feel like the most wonderful person in the world i want to hug everyone i meet um and so it's people can change and i don't think that's so far out there and especially like a fantasy world we have people flying around on unicorns and stuff and (laughs) shooting magics out of their fingers. Like that's definitely something that should, should have already been addressed, but you were saying Megan, like it is definitely like something more of like a sign of the times, I think Mm -hmm. that absolutely needs changing. And that's really, really important. For sure. And Uh, if you don't mind, if I just touch on the gender thing that you said before, because actually I, yes, I wanted you to talk on that. I did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I feel like that is one place where I've had direct experience with feeling the isolation or the barriers to playing D&D as a female. Because I'm, again, relatively new to the tabletop RPG world compared to Tristan or many other people. But what I was unfortunately not shocked by was sitting at a table surrounded by men. Hmm. I've only played with two other women or three if I include my sister. And in any other case, there's been at least three or four other men at the table. And usually the people that I have seen as role models, as DMs, have been men. I mean, we look at Matthew Mercer. He's an amazing DM. But, you know, he, again, is that strong male presence at the table. And we see, again, being outweighed in many D&D shows, men and I understand that it was a more male-dominated culture at the beginning, but I'm trying to wrap my head around why it is so hard as a woman to get into it on your own. And I really think that part of the reason is just that the nerd culture, for whatever reason, has always been kind of more male-dominated sector. And walking into a room for, you know walking into a, a Comic-Con or walking into a game shop, walking into a room to play D&D, women are often outnumbered. And that only yeah. exacerbates the problem because you walk in and you immediately feel out of place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And I have that experience so often. And, you know, as both male identifying people who play in this world, do you have any idea, like, do you have any idea on the history of why that is? As to why it's more male dominated or why they are, why the females are, are really not as, as equally in this community. No, just on the history of why it was originally male dominated. I don't know mm. much about nerd history. I don't no, claim yeah. to know a lot about it. So I wondered if either of you have any any history mm. knowledge to drop on me. I just don't. if you want to go first, go ahead. Yeah, I don't have any facts. Mm-hmm. I will say I have ideas that I can, you know, postulate about. I don't know exactly why. I think it's just been an area that has traditionally been marketed mm-hmm. by men yeah like if, if i'm thinking about comic books in this case not specifically yeah. tabletop role-playing games but all of the early comic book characters were written and illustrated by men and they were of strong men yeah and of course yeah. the damsel in distress damsel or the sidekick you know yeah. and yeah. it was all young boys young men or old men, you know, whoever was open to it was seeing themselves in all the comic book characters and then buying them. And then it starts to become a cycle, right? And then, you know, you get more and more into all of the different realms. So that is, I think, would be my guess. Right. At least, I don't know. I want to add something to what you're saying there. It is definitely, yeah, like you had these totally male dominated comic book origins and stuff like that and you perfectly yes described like the the men reading these the young men the young boys and all this kind of stuff like and that's what they were fantasizing about of being this like this i think at the time of i want to say it was like you know the 40s or the 50s that you know superhero comics were coming out and stuff like that it was a very sexist time too where like the women were supposed to be in the house and that's you know all they were supposedly good for which is bullshit (laughs) yeah and like you i'm not good at cleaning (laughs) that is true i love cleaning the cleaner i can't hey internet high five yes Yeah. (laughs) yeah Well, like, and you had the the idea that women were supposed to, you know, be in the in the the kitchen, all those stupid stereotypes, you know, yeah. and the men were supposed to be, you know, the the heroes and and the the breadwinners and all this kind of crap. And as well as like the comic book writers, not only made these totally macho superheroes, like the women that would come on were totally the damsel in distress. Oh, and man. by the time they were heroes, they were so sexualized. I mean, yeah. and look at like, Poison Ivy. I mean, yeah. I remember everything a is years so ago. much. Yeah, no, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say, like, it is so, so wrong. Yeah. I remember a couple years ago, I was, I was teaching this grade four boy, and we were reading Batman comics for grade fours. And Poison mm-hmm. Ivy was in the comic, and she was so sexualized. And I just yeah. remember thinking, like, are you kidding me? Like, I understand that this character was designed this way originally, but in a yeah. comic design for a level, whatever, one reader, this is insane. Why are we still yeah. stereotyping mm-hmm. these superheroes as being so overtly feminine, sexualized people? It, yeah. it just, 
continuing to propagate the stereotypes and make women feel like, as both of you just said, that they can't see themselves in these games and in these comics and these board games. And that's kind of what I was talking about before with other groups is how can we invite so many people into the world of TTRPGs when we don't even Mm -hmm. represent them in our rule books. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing too, along that same line though, is like, even when you don't have a, an overtly sexualized female character, they are often portrayed as like, like that totally uh, standoffish macho girl. Mm. that's just like, oh, I'm a badass. Like, I don't care about anyone but me. And it's yeah. like, that's that's equally as toxic as yeah. the sexualized version. Yeah. Like, y- you have, you are just now, I think, starting to get certain female characters who can be like that gentle side of a, of, of like a caring uh, female while still being a badass, but balancing it in such a way that is neither sexualized, nor is it, like I said, like standoffish, and you know, and it's so like, well, whatever, I don't care, you know. And again, it's just something that needs to absolutely change and hurry up because getting it to where females and no matter even like whatever you identify as to like have a better representation in these kind of games that are just they're they're fantastically fun games they are so fun to just you know play with friends have a great time have some fun adventures and laughs you know and and just emotional moments but like if you put so much people on the sidelines and say like oh this is the role that you're assigned you Mm -hmm. know and that's what you have to stick to that's gonna definitely be like okay well that's i'm not doing that that's uh, i don't want to do that you know it's it's not fair and it's (laughs) and you just lose people at that point absolutely and going back to what we were saying at the very beginning of this episode what I think all of us love about role-playing games is that you are stepping into somebody who you can be whoever you want. And I can only imagine how damaging it would be to be somebody who maybe for the first time might get to express their true identity in the form of another character. And they open this book and they can't see that person anywhere. And then, you know, that just reinforces the idea that whoever they identify as just isn't right. And that's, yeah. that's not what we want, especially if we're encouraging young people to mm-hmm. join this game. Yeah. While there's probably a more majority of people who are older and, you know, not children, children still do get into this game, you know, and it's, yeah. and it's game like games like this that can really start to teach the younger generations about different concepts and ideas and things Mm -hmm. that yeah just absolutely ties into something like this where it's like the rules and the wordings of the the rule books definitely need to be changed and in a better more comfortable or even just a streamlined way to bring it back to like ease of access for new players it's such an easy to read format that's like okay everyone has a properly represented section you know everyone has a a fair and equal treatment everyone is easy to understand Mm -hmm. there's no biases Mm -hmm. there's no nothing and and i know that's been like the hot topic in the past like month or two about wizards of the coast getting a lot of backlash for that which i mean they should i mean it's it's something that like has been an issue for decades now yeah uh if not centuries uh, just about you know gender and race it's it's a tale as old as time that something like this needs to change and it's a slow moving process which is absolutely unfortunate 
yeah, it's the worst <laughs> to have as a slow-moving process because it's a game that people use to project heroic personalities of themselves into. And yeah. like we've been saying this whole time, it's super fun. <laughs> and yeah. you want people everywhere to feel comfortable accessing that game and being included. And there are a lot of, there's a lot of content like Austin's podcast and podcast. And what are they like podcasts where people record it? Like the video, you know, I don't actual know play actual play. Yeah. Wow. A vodcast, a vodcast, either way, TV shows, like this, <laughs> all of this content that's trying to pull people into D and D. And yes. the worst thing is that if you pull all these people into the game and then they get to it, finally, they crack open the book and they're like, now, nah. and there's nothing that all of us who play D&D can do officially to change the book or what it says. And yeah. in the end, that is what is really going to matter to someone yes. who is who cares about that. We should all care about that, but it can be off-putting if you're you know, you're reading a book and like, oh, what are the drow? What do these guys do? Or mm-hmm. what do any of like the people from this race represent? And one of the players is like, oh yeah, they're evil. Yeah. And then what's your answer to that? I <laughs> like, I don't know why they're evil. <laughs> they're yeah. just evil in the history of the game. And if you want to play as them, then you have to be evil. Cause that's what the game says. Or yeah. If you're with a group who doesn't care what the game says, you can say, well, in our game, the drow aren't evil, but that's an extra step already. Yeah. Where now we as the players have to own the content and say, the drow aren't evil. They don't have to be evil despite what all of this content says. Yeah, absolutely. Like what you just said, though, like official change is something that needs to happen, not just individually at each different table. But official change is something that, yeah, definitely should come around sooner rather than later. So, mm-hmm. Well, you guys have done a great job of answering all of my questions with really, really thoughtful answers there. So thank you yeah, so much. Yeah, we got deep. We got we deep, did. You did. I love, I love when we get deep because it's a great thing being able to have a, a platform such as this. And someone mentioned this to me after an interview. I can't remember who. But they said, like, you know, this is a platform for your voice and the people you have on here for their voice as well. And I think it's absolutely important to speak your mind as truthfully as you can about the things that are important and the things that you deem important. So I really enjoy whenever we get to, you know, have discussions about this when getting a deep conversation like this is a rare chance, at least for me. So not only do I cherish getting able to being being able to talk to you guys about these kind of things, but also getting deeper into more pressing matters other than just like, hey, this game is a lot of fun. Like, what's some fun things we've done? Like, getting into bigger, headier topics of representation and race and culture and stuff like that because mm. that's that's not just a an in game issue. It's a real life thing too. So so thank you. Definitely. And thanks for giving us a platform to talk about it. Our podcast isn't so much directed at diving deep into those issues, rather bringing people in who might not normally know about these things. So this is a great spot for us to talk. So thank you for giving us this chance. Really awesome. You're welcome. Yeah. Well, for my last question for you two, what sort of changes would you like to see made in the future of your own podcast? 
Well, as we said, we're looking to start to expand our own roster of guests so that we get some diverse voices. So far, it's been Mm -hmm. just Tristan and I speaking to each other in an echo chamber. Um, (laughs) But we don't know, especially myself, I don't know a lot of things. And I think that's what's really, really cool about having a podcast is I get to sit down with people like you, Austin, or um, other guests that I'll have on, like the Magic the Gathering guest who's coming soon. And I will get to learn about things that I don't know. And I think that's such a cool thing. And I'm looking forward to that change being made Um, for my podcast. I'm also really hoping to be able to hear from diverse voices. So again, I'm really, really trying to look at creators who are not just men, who are not just white, to be able to bring their own voice and what they're doing into my podcast. So hopefully I can, as you say all the time, boost each other up and help Mm -hmm. share with the world of the nerd, all of the people who aren't necessarily your typical RPG player or board game player. Definitely. And I love that. Absolutely love that. I think it's very important. Tristan, do you have any aspirational changes that you would like to see made? Made to the podcast or to come from our podcast mm-hmm. either, either or both one thing that i have thought about a lot for the podcast is again i'm going to kind of repeat a couple of things megan said but from a different point of view i love speaking with new people and learning about their experience and their viewpoints and yeah. an idea that i have kind of had is to talk to like basically reverse some of the conversations that Meg and I have already had where we have been speaking to, or will be speaking to like somebody who loves magic, the gathering or somebody who loves star Trek and sort of learn more about the topic. I would really love to flip the script and speak to other self-proclaimed non-nerds about their perceptions of Mm -hmm. what the nerd world is and why is it that they maybe don't want to engage with the content or if they have like if they've played a board game or played a video game but they just didn't like it what was it that they didn't like and sort of talk about what are the things that i really love about it and the way that i perceive all of the things that i love Um, in the nerd world and then talk about how other people perceive those things in the nerd world and learn more about how other people think about it and how they interact with it. Yeah. (laughs) No, it does. It's it's actually a really good idea though. I think I love both of your guys' examples there. I think it's just going to be really fun seeing your guys' podcast grow. I just love it. I just love the concept. I love the idea. (laughs) You two are so great together. You guys work really well together and being able to have both of you be big inspirations in each other's lives in a lot of ways is really, really important. And I hope that never changes. So, so do we. Good. And it's it very likely won't. <laughs> well, good. I'm I'm really, really, honestly, truly glad to hear that. Well, lastly, could you please tell our dear listeners when and where you, they can catch your show? Yes. So currently we are operating on a two-week release basis just because we're both pretty crazy busy right now. Hopefully one day it'll be every week. But for now, it's every two weeks on Friday. Mm-hmm. We... We currently have episodes streaming on Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, and Google Podcasts. And very exciting, we soon will have our own website. 
Yes. And Yay. if you're looking for any of that stuff, all you need to search is The Girl Meets Nerd or The Girl Meets Nerd Podcast. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter. If you have any suggestions or you want to be on the podcast, please reach out to me there and go follow us. Yes, definitely. And we love polls. We love polls. So. Ooh. Well, listeners, I will be putting a lot of info and links to that, all that goodness in the description for you all to check out. And finally, just thank you, Megan and Tristan, so much for being here with me. I have had such a great time with you. And I hope to have more opportunities to speak with you both uh, in the future. I would absolutely love to just like, just talk to you guys. It's wonderful talking to you. I was, I was actually just about to say that it's been really, really wonderful chatting with you, Austin. It's been great to sort of cover some of these topics and you learn a lot about other people, but also about yourself when you're yeah. having these types of conversations, but it's been a really, really great experience. And I think I can speak for both of us mm-hmm. when I say I would love to have another really great conversation with you. Absolutely. Oh, Thank you so much for having us on your show. I hope we added some wealth to your chest. <laughs> you absolutely did. By by all means, you did. I told you I did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, God. You're making me blush. Well, thank you for joining us, listeners. I will see you the next time you open the Ironbound Chest. Hey everyone, it's the end of the show, so that means it's time for shoutouts. I want to give a big shout out to Tim Carr, John Wolf, and Weasel Milfingworth Brimley Elderberry III. Thank you all so much for your support. It means a whole lot to me, and I just want to say again, thank you. Uh, and listeners, if you would like to show some extra support, you can go to www.patreon.com forward slash the Ironbound Chest to check out my Patreon. For $2 a month, uh, you can get some cool things like shoutouts and access to my Discord server. And then the higher tiers receive early access to episodes and even the ability to submit a question for my guests. And please don't forget to rate and review this podcast on iTunes as it does help out a great deal. Uh, But thank you all for listening and I'll see you next week.